Welcome to Faith Bible College International's podcast, where we share spirit-filled preaching, teaching, and encouragement. For everyone living to make a world of difference in their life and the lives around them with the good news of Jesus Christ. I just met Pastor Jason this morning, and... uh, And all I can tell you is he's got to be good because pastor wouldn't let him come if he wasn't good. (laughs) That's all I know. I I can tell you that he's uh, married to a a lady by the name of Jenny and that they have three boys and that he's done everything in church from being the children's pastor all the way up through to executive pastor and senior pastor uh, and everything in the middle. You name it, he's been there and done that. I suspect he might have cleaned a toilet or two and done the janitorial work along with some of that other stuff as well. Uh, Part of the process, that's right. And so all the way from Kansas, would you let Pastor Jason know that we love him and glad he's come to be with us today. Yeah, give him a Faith Bible College welcome. God bless you, sir. You can tell them a little more about what you are. Thank you. I appreciate that. You guys can have a seat. Um, If it's okay, I'm just going to tell some stories. You know, uh, I'm a preacher, and so I'll probably end up preaching anyways. But I was talking with Pastor Matt, and I was just sharing about some of the things that God's been doing through our ministry in Kansas. And he was like, you just got to tell some stories. He said, preach if you want to preach. Do what you need to do. He said, but just tell some stories about what God's doing in Kansas. So I'm going to take a little bit. I'll share my story briefly as fast as I can, and then I'll get into some of the things that God's up to in Garden City, Kansas. Which is where my wife Jenny and I are currently pastoring a church called Cornerstone Church in Garden City, Kansas. And so, um, I'm a PK. Any any other PKs? Look at us. I'm sorry. I apologize. It's hard life being a PK, uh, but it's a good life. It's a good life, but it's a hard life. You know, the glass house is a real thing. Uh, so I appreciate all of you that you still love Jesus after being a PK. And so I have a special value for pastor's kids because we get it. We've seen it, you know, from the front row of the church in the back seat of the car. We know what ministry really is. And so um, I've been in full-time ministry for the last 18, which is crazy crazy to say out loud, uh, 18 years. And, um, and it's, I, I started when I was 18 and my dad called me one day and he said, Hey, our children's pastor's resigning. I just need you to come in for a month. Just be our children's pastor for a month and uh, don't lose. We had like 400 kids and about 90 volunteers. He said, don't lose any kids, don't lose any volunteers, and I'll get you out of there in a month. And I was like, I can do that. Uh, Nine months later, we found our new children's pastor. uh, And we had one more kid and one more volunteer at the end of it than we had when we started. And I... I celebrate that. Poor kids probably got the worst theology in the world, you know. Noah split the Red Sea and Moses was, you know, all kinds of bad theology. But but we had fun. We ate cockroaches and licked 
peanut butter out of armpits, and we had the time of our lives. We had the time of our lives. And then we finished that, and about two months later, he called me, and he said, hey, we lost our youth pastor. And he's like, just give me a month. I said, I don't, <laughs> you're not tricking me this time. Uh, and so I said, yes. And, you know, most of ministry, honestly, is just the willingness to say yes. Uh, I've found that to be the most true thing, is just a willingness to say yes to God when he calls. And it's so, it's, we can complicate it, we can make it so much more difficult than it actually is, but really it's just the willingness to say yes. And so I've done children's, thank God I've never had to do worship ministry, we would have lost everyone if I had a mic and had to sing. Uh, I make a joyful noise, but it's not a, uh, not a pretty one. Um... <laughs> I appreciated Brandon Lake when he said, and that song might get loud, it's going to be off key. I'm like, he knows me. He knows me. I don't know if you guys have heard that song. It's pretty great. Um, but so I, I did all that, and I was, I never saw myself, honestly, though, I never saw myself as a pastor. I always saw myself as somebody who loved the church, who had a, had a high value for the things of the church, and wanted to be involved in full-time ministry with the church, but I, I, I'm a workaholic. I'm a, if you know the Enneagram, I'm an eight, and so, like, 80-hour work weeks are kind of my happy place. I'm broken in that way, and so uh, I was always just kind of always there, but I was a coach and a teacher just what I went to school for. I thought that was what I was going to do with my life is coach high school football, uh, track and field, and then maybe be an athletic director, teach. And so that's what I went to school for. I was very successful at it. Uh, won a state championship as a, as a high school football coach, varsity head football coach. And, um, and I, as, as far as I know, still to this day, I'm the youngest head coach to ever win a state championship in New Mexico in football. And so, yeah, I, I wear that like a badge of honor, by the way. Um, and and so I was very successful, but honestly, just unfulfilled. Um, we we um, we were in that, and we were having all the success in the world, and I felt totally unfulfilled. And I was just crying out to God one day, like, "Man, Lord, am I insatiable? Will I ever find you know peace and in, in, in joy and winning?" And He just basically said, "Not you know, not audibly. It wasn't this burning bush moment. Just still, small voice. You're doing something like what you're supposed to be doing, but it's not what you're supposed to be doing." So it feels like it. You know, I'm a catalyst. That's my life word is I'm a catalyst. I want to I see people become everything that God created them to be. And so it felt like I was doing what I was supposed to be doing because I was helping people achieve what they wanted to achieve in sports. But God had bigger plans than just sports. He wanted me to help people achieve what he created them to be, not just in sports, but in life. And so I transitioned into uh, what I would consider vocational ministry at that point. That was in 2010. So now I was I was actually getting paid to work full time at the church, which is awesome, by the way. Um, but I I did I did almost eight years of working about 35 hours at the church, and I never got paid. And then for the last well now 12 years, we've seen God do some things all throughout that. So I say all that to say, um, don't put a parameter on your service with God. Um, you never know the things that God's going to open up for you to do just by being faithful where he's planted you. You know, we can always, there's always greener pastures somewhere else, but sometimes they're greener because they're over the top of a septic tank. Like, you, you don't know what's underneath the ground, but God does. And so you just got to be faithful where you're planted. 
And so God was really faithful to me because I was faithful to him. And God blessed it, and we, we just continued, my wife Jenny and I just continued to kind of rise in the ranks and um, became executive pastor, and then we were in a five-year transition with my father, who planted uh, the church we grew up in in 1980, and um, we were supposed to, so 2018, I was the senior pastor behind closed doors. So we were, we were doing everything, it just wasn't a public transition. We called it a baton exchange. Um, there was no public baton exchange. It was private. And then uh, God blessed it, man. We were humming. We were humming. We were we were seeing Clovis, where I grew up, is a town of about 30,000 people. And we were seeing 2,500 people on average come every single Sunday. Uh, we had three straight years where we had over 6,000 people at Easter. So put that in context. That's one out of every five people. Clovis is not a suburb of a big city. Clovis is in, in the middle of nowhere. Like, there's nothing else. There, we were 90 miles from Target, 90 miles from Starbucks, 90 miles from anything. And um, and one out of every five. So 20% of our community was coming to Easter Sunday. Three years in a row, we had over 500 people get baptized three years in a row. And God was really doing some beautiful things. And then three weeks before the public baton exchange was supposed to take place, my dad came to me and he said, hey, dude, I'm not ready. And I, I was like, man, uh, I told him from the beginning it was his to give, not mine to take. So I said to him, I said, hey, I love you. And if that's how you feel, then I'm, I'm for you. I just can't be for you and, and be here. So my wife, Jenny, and I, we, I could tell you all this whole huge story, but the bottom line is we took a three-week time away from church to figure out what God was saying. He, he gave us a very, I mean, he's so faithful. He's just so faithful. He, we were, we were away, and I'll, I'll never forget it. I was sitting outside on the porch of of the house we were staying at, and God gave me a very clear picture of a man's hand. There was a balloon, like a helium balloon, on a string, and there was a second string that kind of came down. So I'm a photographer. It's what I do when I'm not in church world, and God's blessed that I've had the opportunity to work with Nike and Under Armour and Adidas and CBS Sports and all kinds of different fun things in the sports world. And so he kind of speaks to me through that lens, pun intended. Um, But so I was holding my iPhone. It was like I was looking through the camera of my phone and I could see the balloon. I could see that it was tethered to the table, but then there was a second string that kind of came out and went away and you, you couldn't see it anymore. And there was a man's hand that came in and cut that string where it was tethered to the table. And the balloon ascended. And I had to like step back and so I could see the rest of the image. And as it stepped back, the balloon was now higher. You could see the severed string and you could see the, the second string that w- went out of the camera. And God spoke very clearly to me. He said, you've, you've been released from this place. He said, but um, it's going to be worth it, but it's going to be hard. And what you thought was going to happen is not going to happen, but I can promise you my plans for your life are good. And so my wife, Jenny, and I, we, we, we are, so she's a nine on the Enneagram. I'm an eight, so she's very, like, laissez-faire or whatever, you know, just go with the flow type personality. And I'm, like, the take the world by the horns kind of personality. And so we both came to the conclusion, because I can sell ice to an Eskimo. So, like, we we came to the conclusion that she had to come to some conclusions and I had to come to some conclusions. And if it was God, then we would be in agreement. 
And so that same morning, she had a similar understanding from heaven. And so we both said, okay, we, it's time for us to leave. So we took and sold everything. I mean, when I say everything, I mean like we sold everything. We've got three boys, um, nine, seven, five, and um, we sold everything, crammed everything into an RV and left. We, you know, the power of being in ministry as long as I have been and being a PK, I got friends. We've, you know, PKs, you get it. We've got friends all over the country. And the cool thing is the stage of life you're in, fast forward that 20 years and your friends are going to be doing incredible things. All, like the friends you're developing right now in this season of life, you guys are going to be doing absolutely incredible things. 20 years from now, you're going to be leading great churches. You're going to be doing incredible things in the worship world. And then, like, it's going to be so powerful. So imagine that. Imagine this stage of life 20 years ahead. And so we literally started in Charlotte, North Carolina. And for uh, six and a half months, we drove across the country. We were in 21 different churches in a six-month period and got to see what God was doing literally from Charlotte, North Carolina, all the way to San Clemente, California. And we visited friends' churches and churches that, that we aspire to be like, and we got to see God do all these incredible things. And so... Um, I'm doing pretty good on time. Okay. I have a bad habit of going over, by the way, so I apologize. Um, so God was really faithful of showing us some things that um, we would have never been able to see otherwise. Um, I'm teaching the pastoral theology tomorrow morning. And in it, I'm going to be talking, if you're in that class, I'm going to be talking about personal disciplines and how mission critical they are. What we didn't know, what we didn't know is that my dad had been in a 15-year-long affair with uh, multiple people. He was a broken man, but we had no clue. And so what felt like punishment in the moment was actually God preserving us. Because if we had been there, we would have probably stepped away from ministry and we'd had to walk through all the pain and the nastiness of that moment. But because we were separated from it and had left really, truly like, you know, joy comes when you recognize what you've been protected from. But purpose comes when you realize what you've been protected for. And that reality for Ginny and I was a huge deal. That was a huge deal that when we saw it all unfolding, and so they called us, we knew, we got a very clear, three different really very, very clear prophetic words about Southwest Kansas. So Garden City's like right in the bottom Southwest corner of Kansas. So we were called to Kansas, didn't know what that meant, thought maybe we're planting a church, what are we doing, where are we going, we didn't know any of those things. But we just knew Southwest Kansas, and, and that's the way God's going to work, I would imagine, because I know that's how he's worked in my life, and I know so many people that that's how he's worked in their life too, is that he'll give you a thought, he'll give you a direction, he'll give you a step, and you have to be faithful in that step. Like, you have to be faithful in that moment to say yes. And so we moved to Southwest Kansas literally this week last year, one year ago um, this week. We moved to Southwest Kansas, didn't have a church, didn't have a plan. We started to work through ARC and the different things that they're doing with planting churches. And then a church there in Kansas calls us and they're like, hey, we've, we, we've heard about you. 
Um, we, we were, <laughs> would you be interested in, in interviewing for our church? And it's crazy because we literally, we were thinking about planting in a city about an hour away called Dodge City, which is like White Earp and all of those things. Um, we were looking at planting in Dodge City. And then, so we felt really uncomfortable going to a church in Dodge City, knowing we were probably planting in Dodge City. So we drove to Garden City to go to this church. So we were literally in this church for 12 weeks before we interviewed for the job. So we had, it was like a cheat code of cheat codes because we had a really firm grasp on who this church was, the holes, the, the broken pieces, the best parts, all of it. And we interviewed for a couple weeks. So we ended up going to that church for 15 weeks before we said yes to being the senior pastors there. And um, our first Sunday being the lead pastors was actually Mother's Day weekend. Um, we were announced the following weekend, and then I preached my first message on the first Sunday of June. So what, now we're in week month nine, basically, plus or minus? And when we started Mother's Day weekend, which is typically a very large weekend for church, um, sadly, Father's Day is typically a low weekend for church, which may tell us part of the problem with church right now. Um... But Mother's Day weekend is fairly large, typically, and we had about 480 people in church on Mother's Day weekend. Twelve weeks later, we had over 1,000, which is not good, by the way. We were not ready for 1,000 people. Our systems and structures and procedures were really bad. Uh, it, was a, it, was, it was a church that had gone through a lot, but it was built for about 600 people, and we just grew like wildfire. Um, so I, I, I want to tell you some of these, these things that I've seen as we, as we went across the country, and I'm going to do my best um, to be quick. So if you're taking notes, uh, I would encourage you to take notes. I'm, I'm going to move quickly, and then I'm going to tell some stories. Here's what I saw as I went across the country. 21 different churches, basically every state underneath the Mason-Dixon line. We were not trying to come north during the winter in an RV. Uh, that was not in our plans. We stayed below. We were in 20 two states, basically, all of them in the south, because you don't want to be in sub-zero temperatures in an RV. Um, so first, and this is what I saw, God doesn't change the world with powerful messages, but with empowered people. Um, here's the question I would ask you, and things that you need to be asking yourself, is this, how, how are we intentionally raising up leaders inside of the church? How are we intentionally raising up leaders inside of the church? I believe that if God can take a bunch of fishermen and turn them into fishers of men, then he can take regular and ordinary people like you and me and turn them into extraordinary leaders. But the question is how? Because if you're not doing it on purpose, it's not going to happen. It has to be intentional, it has to be strategic, it has to be thought out, has to be very well done. Because here's the thing, if you're going to raise up leaders, then leaders have great questions. Leaders think intuitively. Leaders question things that they see. And if it's not good, then guess what? They won't be there for very long. They'll find somewhere else. 
And so the, the thing that the church, I believe, needs to do better that we've seen on the churches that are crushing it through COVID. So when we left Clovis, our, we were about 93% of our pre-COVID numbers when we left Clovis in August of 2020. The reason why is because we had empowered people to do the work of the ministry. It's, it's really mission critical. And I think we've missed out on that. You know, I, I think one of the mistakes we've made, and I'll get into this a little deeper in a second, but uh, in the excellence movement and the things that happened about 20, 2008 time frame, uh, where, where we got really, really good right at the first song is three minutes and 17 seconds. And the second song is four minutes and four seconds. And the third song is five minutes, 18 seconds, but we're going to flow in the third song, right? The pastor's going to preach for 34 minutes and 30 seconds, and then we will close. And the lights will come on here. They will go out here. This slide comes up there. We got really good at being excellent. And one of the main things that we heard in that season is keep the main thing the main thing. You guys heard that? Um, The scary thing is I think the church made a huge mistake in that because we made the main thing the only thing. And so we've made Sunday into this monumental moment, and we forgot that God is operating on Monday too. And so if you're not raising up leaders and being intentional about raising up leaders Monday through Sunday all the time, then you will find yourself in a COVID reality, right? Because COVID just sped everything up 10 years. The trends we're living in now were the things that were going to be taking place in 2030 anyways. It just sped it all up. So it exposed a really slow group. I love the church, but we are typically very slow to adjust. We experienced something that woke us up, hopefully. And I'll tell you this, the churches that didn't wake up are not around right now. And if you think a great message is going to attract people, guess what? They found out that Mike Todd and Stephen Furtick and Craig Groeschel can speak way better than any pastor that they're going to listen to in any city across the country. And it's a lot easier to go to church in pajamas than it is to go to church dressed up to the nines, especially if you've got kids. So if all you do is a great service on Sunday morning, you're going to find yourself with not very many people in that great service because you're not going to be making a difference. God changes the world with empowered people, not powerful messages. The second thing that we saw is transfer growth is dying and will be completely dead in the next 10 years. Transfer growth, meaning they left First Southern Baptist on Main Street to First Nazarene Church on Second Street. That stuff will come to an end. We're not losing people to other churches. We're losing them to hell. So if we don't shepherd our people well, then hell will be shepherding them for us. And so the, the realities of, of, of churches that are not evangelistic in, in their core, they've, if you're not saving them, you're not going to be gaining them. You, we've got to be saving people. The question is how, when, where, why, what. Everything should be built around how many people can get saved at this moment. How many people can get saved in this service. How many people can get saved at this event. How many people can get saved here, there, and everywhere. So transfer growth is dying. It's almost dead already. Number three is this. Every meeting is a designated appointment with the creator of the universe. Every meeting. You know... 
what I've seen, because I've been a part of the church, you know, from the 60s to the 90s, I really, you could see it. There was a lot of movement around gifts of the spirit, which I'm a spirit-filled tongue talk, and I'm doing all those things, so I'm not throwing any stones. But my point is, from the 60s to the 90s, what we saw is a bunch of people who were gathering to edify themselves. Right? From the 90s to the 2020s, we saw a group of people gathering, seeker-sensitive, for the lost. My prayer is that from 2020 on, we'll start gathering for the King of Kings. That we gather for his attendance, for his glory, and for his praise. And when we get that into our thick skulls, then we'll start to see God move inside of our services in ways that will blow our minds. That if we'll gather for his attendance, for his glory, and for his praise, that's why we gather. That's one of the things, that's one of the staples of our church back home is that we gather for his attendance. See, because if we start gathering for hours, then we miss out. If we start trying to gather the, 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 the unsaved, and that's our whole mission, then we forget that when, see, the, the seeker-sensitive movement where it missed it is they were seeking the seeker, but the seeker was seeking the king. We were seeking the seeker, but they were seeking the presence of God. And then we took away the presence of God and we wondered why they stopped seeking. And so we have to get back to our roots. I'll tell you, one of the things that we've seen, and now we've stabilized. We, we had over 1,000 people again this weekend, and um, we're launching campuses, and God's been really faithful to, to do some different things. I mean, I could tell you story after story. We've, we've had, uh, we, we started sharing our vision of planting campuses in rural communities like this. I mean, what we would call spiritual deserts, food deserts, like there's a food desert, right? This is a food desert, by the way. No Dollar General, no Family Dollar, no grocery store, no gas station. Like, this is our, this is our target. Like, cities just like this. Because of a revival that took place in the 20s, 1920s and 1930s with the denominations, the Methodists, the Presbyterians, the Nazarenes, the Catholics, they, they built churches in these small rural communities. But now, all of the denominations are in complete chaos. Right? The Methodists can't get on the same page. They're trying to figure out, are they LGBTQ plus affirming? Are they CRT? Or what do we feel about, you know, these people in the pulpit and not? And so there's a total civil war in the Methodists. Right now there's total civil war in the Baptists. There's total civil war in the Presbyterians. There's civil war. And so you know what that means? People are not going to these denominations seminary. And because they're not going to seminary, they're having a hard enough time finding pastors for Dallas and Houston and New York and LA, much less Plains, Kansas. And so many, if not every single one of those denominational churches in small cities in Kansas have not had a pastor for over five years. So they've got buildings, they've got people, but they got no shepherd. And so we feel a very strategic call to what we call hub cities, which would be cities like Garden City, uh, 15 to 55,000 people. And then we feel a very specific call to what we call our rural campuses, which would be cities like this where they're a food desert and a spiritual food desert. So we're, we're going into those places. And when they heard this group in Plains, Kansas, which you won't even probably find if you Googled it, um, said, we'll, we'll be first. Here's our building, debt-free. They gave us their building. There's $30,000 in their bank account. They haven't, had a, they haven't had church. They haven't met as a church in four years. 
And so they signed everything over. It was a blessing because we get to be us. We don't have to be them. We get to be us. And we're believing God for 250 people to be gathering in a city of 1,000 every single week. Every single week. And we don't, we don't see any reason why, why those things can't take place. You know, it's, I say this all the time and I kind of laugh about it, but we'll literally be the only hot dog stand in town. So we just have to be good. We just have to be good. And so God's blessed us. The, the worship's going to be incredible. But when I say every meeting is a designated appointment with the creator of the universe, what I'm saying is we have to get away from the, 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 the regimented three minutes and 18 seconds on X and four minutes and four seconds on Y. And, and we have to open ourselves up again because what we've done is we've gotten really good at worship, music, and we now we need to get really good at worship. And so if we will do that, we'll open up. I'll tell you, just in the last few weeks, we had a young man who was uh, given, he had a, a diagnosis. He was going blind. He was basically there. He had an appointment on Monday where they were going to declare him legally blind. We prayed for him. God restored his sight. And he's living in that freedom. Now, I will say this. Here's what's crazy. And it reminded me, I think, I don't remember what chapter of Matthew where Jesus is talking about, um, I think it's in 20, uh, it doesn't matter, maybe 25, verse 40 something, 43, or plus or minus doesn't matter. You guys are all Bible school students. You can do the homework for yourself. <laughs> but he's talking about casting out demons. And he says, you know, if you cast the demon out, be wary because seven more will return. I'm pretty sure that's in Matthew 25. Um, but in that, here's the thing. The first lie the devil will tell you is that, that God won't do it for you. And then when he does it for you, he'll tell you that you can't keep it. And that's where he's at right now. So God delivered him. He goes to that doctor's appointment on Monday, and the doctor says to him, if I didn't know you had this disease, I wouldn't know you had this disease. And then now that disease has come back, and it's, it's, it's worse than ever. It breaks my heart because I'm like, dude, you were healed. Why aren't you living in your healing? We had a woman come in who was, her two kids were a part of the Church of Satan, which is a big deal in Kansas right now. Um, and uh, her husband was all in, and she came in, and we had some prayer lines that were taking place during worship, and because we called an audible. I had a whole message prepared, and God was like, you're not preaching this morning. Um, I'm like, okay, you better confirm that. And then our worship leader said, hey, I'm kind of feeling this way before service. And I said, well, tell me your set list. And she walked me through the set list. I said, I'm coming up after song one. Let's see what God does. And so a part of that, this woman comes up. And, you know, I don't see in the spiritual realm, I don't see angels and demons. And I'm pretty grateful for that, by the way. Um, but I do have a sense. I've been around enough to know what some of those things feel like. And a woman came up, and I bumped my wife, Jenny, and I said, this, there's, there's something demonic going on here. I said, we need to take authority right now. So we started praying, and so then she starts getting prayed for, and boom. I mean, it's very obvious. Very obvious. Well, she gets completely delivered from that and then is able to walk through, this is what has been happening, and I didn't know what this meant and all of this stuff. This was her first time to be in a church ever. She's in her 40s, never been in a church. Never been in a church. I could share a picture with you. We've had a ton of people go through our Next Steps program in the last few months, and um, one of the people, we have these statements of faith, 
um, that people say, I agree. Like they check each box. I agree. I agree. I agree. And one lady said she didn't agree that Jesus is the son of God. She checked. No, she doesn't agree with that. She doesn't agree that the Bible is inspired and infallible. She doesn't. That was like basically all of the core tenets of Christianity. And I just laughed and I'm kind of thinking, why is she going through next steps? But this is the world. We're in a post-Christian world. So what she knew is that she has peace when she comes to church and she wants to be a part of that with people. She just doesn't actually agree with anything we believe. <laughs> Welcome to the post-Christian world. And so I could, I could tell you story after story. So then, but the, so the word though, I had a very specific word. My father-in-law is, is in our church and um, they drive quite a bit every weekend to come to church with us. And he's seen God do some incredible things through their life and through their, their stuff. And he's got a gift of healing on his life. And so I had this word that he was supposed to pray. We had a couple in our church who, the, their daughter, who was is about maybe five months old now, had a very, um, I forget the, the name of it, but it's she wasn't even supposed to live through being born. She was not supposed to be born alive. And then she was born alive, and then they're like, well, she'll die soon. And, and she's still not dead. She's still living. And so I had a very specific word that my father-in-law was supposed to pray for this couple. And um, so, you know, in a very pastorly way, I'm trying not to call them out. And I'm like, well, my father-in-law's up here, and, and if you need healing, he's going to pray for you. And then they don't come up. But, you know, like, where our lights are very bright, and our church, you know, our sanctuary is pretty large, so you can't see everybody. Like, I can see most of you, but I couldn't see out maybe past the third or fourth row. So I'm like, okay, maybe they're not here. I'm like, man, Lord, why would you tell me this and then they're not here? So then I get really specific. I'm like, hey, if you've got a child with a death sentence over their life, and I kind of get more specific without calling them out, they don't come forward. And then this like punch in my gut of like, you need to call them out. I'm like, Lord, I'm gonna look real stupid if they're not in the room. And I call them out. And so finally I'm like, okay, they're not coming forward. I was like, are the Lucans in the room? Because I feel like this is a word for you and you need to be up here. And then I see them, they're at the back. They start walking forward and I'm like, got you suckers. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, but, the, but I was so grateful. So then they come forward, they pray. And um, after service is over, we go out into the foyer and we're just talking and schmoozing and all the things. And my mother-in-law's like, oh, it's just so neat, you know? And I'm like, what's so neat? She says, well, you know, my father-in-law's name is Ted. She says, well, Ted is the one who prayed for her father who had cancers in, in his esophagus and was supposed to go in and have it completely removed. And then his, he was healed because of Ted's prayer over her father. And now he got to pray for their daughter. And I was like, I had no... See, God will put things together that we can't put together on our own. And so who knew? They live almost... 45 minutes away from the church in the opposite direction of where my in-laws live. I had no idea that they even knew each other, much less that they had done that. And so God put those things together. And so we're standing that that little girl is healed. And so God has just been doing some things, but every meeting is a designated appointment with the creator of the universe. And then number four, I tell you this, take the pressure off of yourself. If there needs to be more proof of it than what happened with that song when the lights go out and yet everybody was unfazed because the presence of God is more than lights and sound and 
people are not hungry for a show. They're hungry for the real thing. And if we can give them the real thing, well, we got to take the pressure off of ourselves. I said, the, here's what I wrote down. I said, the excellence movement puts the pressure on us, but the coming spirit movement, I believe, will, will be all about him. Um, there's this term that I prescribe to called detached activism. Detached activism. And basically what that means is I work hard, and then I let go of everything but him. And then I'm open to the unfolding of events. Does that mean I get to, you know, be lazy and go sit down in a, in a recliner and just pray all day long? No, because we're not monks. We're in ministry. All right, if you want to do that, then go to a monastery and pray all day, and, and that can be your life. But if you're in ministry, then you're going to be with people. You're going to work your fanny off. I saw that it, this one of my favorite books that I think probably should be the first book read in every seminary, every Bible school, everything, is called Leadership Pain from Sam Chand. And he talks about the real part, not the ideal, but the real parts of ministry. And I think the numbers in there, and don't quote me on this, but I believe 92% of people in ministry work 55 to 75 hours a week. That's the real. So I'm not giving you permission to be lazy, and I'm not giving you permission to, work, to, to, to not work hard, but what I am telling you is take the pressure off of yourself. John 6, 28 and 29 says this, so what should we do if we want to do God's work? And Jesus answered him, the work you can do for God starts with believing in the one that he has sent. And then in Matthew eleven thirty, 30, he says, keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I love it because John, the book of John, he uses the word trust 98 times. 98 times. And if you really look at it in the Greek, what he's really saying, and you could probably a more accurate translation for us today would not be the word trust, but it would be relax. Like stop taking yourself so seriously. We, we, we work hard and then we put those results in God's hands. I don't know anyone in this room that will ever change a person's heart. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. So what we do is we do our absolute best and then we place it in God's hands. Detached activism. I work my fanny off and I place all of the results in God's hands and say, I trust you. So I did good on time. Not too bad. You said 1240. So um, I know I'm doing pastoral theology in the morning, which I'm going to talk about, you know, some of the things I've seen is I'm I'm good friends with some of the team um, down at Hope City with Jeremy Foster and the things that they're going through right now as he's had a moral failure, my father. And so I'm going to walk through how to make it in ministry for the long haul with our disciplines and being who we say we are on stage and off the stage. Um, I'm going to do a Q&A today at 3 o'clock. And so I would encourage you, if you want to be in, full, in here, if you want to be in full-time ministry and you want to get the actual real deal, come with questions. I want to answer your questions. I'll help as in any way. I've seen it all. I've been through it all. I've done it all. Um, and so I want to help you guys make wise choices for this next season of life after you graduate from here. And then I'm doing a leadership class um, and then I'm doing a finance class. 
Uh, and then I'll do another Q&A tomorrow in here at 3 o'clock. So, and then I'll do chapel on Thursday. So we're working, working. Um, but I like it. So I hope that this helped. I hope that it's ministered to your heart. Um, and I appreciate you guys being such a great crowd. So thanks for what you do. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to know more about Faith Bible College International, please go to faithbci.org. And find out how you can enroll in our programs or partner with our mission. Again, thank you for listening to FBCI Podcast. Join us next time for more teaching and encouragement. Remember, you make a world of difference.